0: No, the is safe. What is up? Episode 61 of No Guitar is Safe. You are listening to Neely Brosh. This is the title track off her new album. Well, actually, I should say current because it's been out a little while. I know she's working on the next one. This album is called A Matter of Perception, and we're going to hear a couple other tracks off of that. And later, of course, she's going to show you how she actually created these licks and how she plays them and how she approached recording them. Pretty badass. About Neely, well, I should just say, isn't it just great when you see your friends kicking ass and succeeding? Neely got the craziest gig. I've been friends with Neely since she moved to LA five years ago, but all of a sudden she's spending a lot of time in Las Vegas. She's done 200 shows a row, 200 shows in a row already, as this amazing guitar virtuoso, angel demon. I'm not sure what her character is, but she sure can play some guitar in. Michael Jackson won by Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas. Yes, she goes up there and she blazes and there's so many huge guitar moments in this show. And it's totally worth checking out if you're in Las Vegas. She, Again, she's only been doing it for, what, I don't know, six months and she's 200 shows in. It's kind of nutty. The thing about the show too is, I don't know about you, but for me, I grew up loving also the theatrical part of rock concerts. And you know, that's kind of, it's hard to find that now. I mean, when I was 14, I saw Rush. I saw Witch Hunt at the Cal Expo Amphitheater outdoors near Sacramento. And as those big old drum fills are building, if you know the song, the laser beams came out, the fog, it was all timed perfectly. It was so incredible the way the visuals matched the music. Well, you know what? That is just kid stuff compared to what... All respect to Rush, but you know, this is 2017 and Cirque du Soleil's visuals are nutty. These people are artists and they're geniuses, the way they work with the talent on stage. I think... Billy Jean from this show is maybe one of the greatest live performance things I've ever seen, rock concert or otherwise. And then all these huge moments that Neely has, big solos. We're going to start off soon, and she's going to tell you right away about when she plays the famous solo that Eddie Van Halen played on Beat It. And what happens then, it's just nuts. So many of these moments, Neely's just you know, basically all over the stage. She's not in a band. There is no band. She is a character on stage with a wireless guitar and they crank her through the PA system. That's the other thing about these shows. Whether it's this one or Love, which is the Beatles show by Cirque du Soleil across town, you gotta see both. I have to quickly thank my bandmate David Freiberg in Jefferson Starship who took us to see Love. He insisted that we go. He hadn't even seen it himself and it was unbelievable. And uh, actually his daughter... Holly Freiburg also made that happen. And (laughs) I'm telling you, you gotta see both these shows. Start off with this one, because Neely is giving you so much guitar and she's running around, there's no band. She is a character on stage throughout the entire whatever it is, 90 minutes. And just mechanically, all the stuff that's moving around and people flying in and structures and possible robotics and holes in the stage, trampolines, I'm totally into it. And of course, we're going to talk about how Neely recorded all these amazing tracks you're hearing. (laughs) Neely is just kicking ass. I love it. She played for a while in the Iron Maidens, Iron Maiden tribute band in the Southern California area. She played with Tony McAlpine, the great prog shredder. She played double lead guitar. They both were kind of lead guitarists, it was so cool. And sometimes when when Tony's playing keyboards, because that guy is multi-talented, she'd be the one lead guitar player. So cool. She recently did a show with Alfonso Johnson, a fantastic bass player. I'm proud to say that I sort of know. And what else with Neely? I I mean, I can't keep up with it all. She's got great endorsements. Ibanez, Jim Dunlop, etc. MXR, EMG pickups. Gotta love it. So we're going to catch up with Neely in a second or two. Man, on another more somber note. I mean, I'm so happy for Neely, but today... God, just gut-wrenching news that Malcolm Young of ACDC is gone. I mean, we all knew he was, he was ill for the last couple of years, but it's just so tough, man. That guy really changed my life, him and Angus Young, and I have to do a tribute to him. So I'll do that at the end of this episode. I'm going to tell you a couple little Malcolm Young stories that mean a lot to me. I hope you enjoy them. Gotta give tribute to the greatest hard rock rhythm guitarist of all time and the man who really helped shape hard rock from the late 70s onward. Him and Angus and John Muttlang, they changed the planet. Those grooves, those huge drums, it's because the guitar was sparse. That's why those drums were so huge. Anyway, we'll get to Malcolm. My name is Jude Gold. I have been with Guitar Player Magazine since 2001, and we, we urge you to check out Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Thank you very much. Let's fire up the guitar chopper and go out to Las Vegas and hang out with Neely Brosh. We're going to meet in the lobby of the Michael Jackson 1 by Cirque du Soleil show. There's a funny little buzz on some of these practice amp tones, but hey, we're doing it. You know how it is, man. I parachute into these places. It's not always going to be perfect electricity in those walls. That's what's happening. We're plugging in some practice amps. We're going to rock the lobby of Michael Jackson 1 by Cirque Olay. Soleil. And I thank Neely because she's literally just getting off a plane and going straight to this interview. Thanks, Neely. Let's do it.
1: just stays on F sharp. Anyway.
0: <laughs> hey, thanks for having me here. Vegas.
1: Vegas, baby.
0: Vegas. Now, that song is so funky. That's off Matter of Perception. And yes. tell us about the recording of it. Let me, let's hear a little bit of that right now.
1: Um, the little known story is that I was very, very, very close to scrapping that off the record. Because I hated it. Because my whole thing was I wanted all the melodies to be memorable and catchy and all that stuff, and I did feel like I had it with this song, but I just couldn't stand this particular hook for whatever reason. I was just like, ah, oh, it's so that. What cheesy the... and like. I know, That's I know. Triumphant. Hey, right. It. Um, it's the actually, it's the oldest song on the record, but uh. I wanted ten songs. And I was so burnt on writing that I was like, I really don't know if anything good's gonna come out if I really try to start from scratch again. So I was like, let me see how how much better I can get this arrangement to sound and just keep it. And I'm so glad I did that because people seem to like it. A lot of the record was kind of done the same way, like uh, the rhythm section players all recorded the um, basic tracks in their own studio and and sent them to me. Um, And that was the same with this song, so Virgil Donati played drums on it and Brian Beller played bass and they had kind of, well Virgil uh, recorded the drums first. He had uh, a really, uh, what's a good euphemism here? A very modest demo that I had made for this song. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it was enough to kind of know the form and everything and be able to play for the song and, you know, play the right thing. So he had that first. um, Then Brian had that demo plus much better sounding drums. uh, And he recorded the bass on top of that. And then, you know, I kind of took those basic tracks and revamped the whole song based on what they gave me because I knew that it would inspire new ideas. And that's, that's kind of how a lot of the record came together. Um, I had set melodies and, and ideas and stuff, but I also knew that whatever I get back from the players is going to inspire a lot of new things. So I left all the solo sections open. Um, and I was really glad that I did that because you know new phrasing came out of it and all the stuff that I wouldn't have thought of. So I wanted to... You know, to me, that's like the best way to, to have that back and forth that musicians usually have in the studio without actually being in the studio with them. So, yeah, you that's as really close as you it. can get, yeah. you know.
0: Well, yeah, you did a fantastic job by, you know, doing an album where you're bouncing tracks from Right. From it just took to a lot
1: longer that way. That's <laughs> something that's supposed to happen in one day, you know. <laughs> right. But But it, as far as, like, you know, this modern way of not recording a record in the same place and having to send stuff, that was the closest that I could come to, like, all right, how can we actually bounce off each other's ideas? Yeah, so...
0: Well, killer! I can't wait to get more into your album because it's there's so many interesting moments on it. But oh, thank first. You.
1: We're in Vegas. We are in Vegas. And
0: you have not only the coolest job in Vegas of any guitar player that I know of, but probably one of the coolest guitar gigs in the country. I mean, this is crazy. Oh, thank you. Take me through the whole story. How did you hear about the opportunity for this job?
1: Okay. Well, um, so when Michael Jackson won by Cirque du Soleil, the show that I work on, uh, uh, when it was being created about five years ago, in 2012, I had just moved to L.A., like literally a day before that and as I'm you know kind of setting up my my new apartment and everything um people on Facebook and everything keep sending sending me this online flyer that Cirque du Soleil is looking for a female guitar player and there must have been millions of applicants I don't know how I don't know the number I don't know about millions for a female guitar player hundreds yeah (laughs) right we're getting closer but I don't know if we're in the millions yet um so you know, of course I was going to audition for it, you know, but I, but the first thought on my mind was I just got here. Do I really want to move to Vegas? Um, and you know, clearly I was getting kind of ahead of myself, but anyway, I, uh, I went through the process and it was mostly sending videos and stuff like that. Um, and it kind of went over several months and they had let me know that, um, that I was a finalist and that they were going to be in touch. And, you know, again, meanwhile, I was doing my L.A. stuff, and it didn't work out at that time, and I was cool with that, you know, because, again, I had just moved there. I was ready to do the L.A. thing. I was playing with Tony McAlpine, the Iron Maidens, and I was just working on this record that you speak of, and I kind of wanted to do that. You know, I had yeah. in mind the activities planned out for that summer and what I wanted to spend my time doing, so so it was cool, and I kind of, you know, um, I knew that now I'm in there casting, uh, like, program and all this stuff and that I might hear about another opportunity. And I was like, this is, this is good enough, you know? Like, the door is not closed on this, and I would love to work with Cirque in the future.
0: They obviously didn't forget about you.
1: Well, so the, the funny thing is, so the, the latest audition that I had for this, when I finally sta- stayed here, it was the third time I auditioned for this show. Uh, the second time was, I believe, in, like, 2015, and it was to be uh, a backup for Gina Gleason, who was the guitar player here for, since the show's creation. Um, and then that didn't work out, and, you know, I don't even know if she ended up having a ba- I think, I mean, this girl is the biggest trooper out of anybody I know. She's done more shows than... I mean, she did definitely over mm-hmm. 1,000, close to 2,000, because... You were,
0: you've already done 200, right? I've
1: done close to... Well, the my 100th show was, like the show's, you know, ninth show or something like that. So that means that Gina yeah. did, like, 1,900 shows, which wow. is insane. Um, where was I going with this? Oh,
0: I'm sorry. I, just <laughs> I don't know.
1: The... See, you start talking about the amount of shows we do here, and I just kind of lose my train of thought. <laughs> well,
0: 10 shows a week will do that to you. Yeah. But no. um, I think you are talking about how you finally uh, took the audition right. to the next level. Yeah,
1: so anyway, so uh, again, it, it didn't work out. I went on to, to do my, my stuff, and... Um, all of a sudden in march of this past year uh i got an email from cirque again and they're like hey we want to fly you out to to vegas to audition and that week i had like a few other auditions and i was kind of like i was like you know like i'm just gonna audition again and not get it again and you know feel bad about it again and but it was the first time that I was going to be here in person and I kind of wanted to do that. So I was like, okay, you know what? I mean, of course I'm not going to say no to it. I'm going to audition again. And if it doesn't work out, it wasn't meant to be whatever. And, um, and when I got here, it was, it was awesome because it was the first time that I actually met people who work on the show and interacted with them and had an actual audition in person where you can shake people's hands and, and interact with them and connect with you know another human being and not feel like you're just waiting for an email.
0: Right. So what what kind of torture did they put you through that day?
1: <laughs> well, see, luckily the audition process was like kind of the same all 3 times because they had songs that they wanted the guitar player to audition on and they were and weren't they weren't even the full songs. They were like 1 minute excerpts and having done it 3 times like I knew, you know I knew the songs and and everybody knows those songs. I mean it's Beat It and uh, black or white, and all that stuff. So, um, it was just doing the same thing, but but doing it on our stage, and that was actually the the intimidating part, you know.
0: They had um, you walk out there, plugged in through the system.
1: Yeah, yeah. We have an Axe Effects, and um, and and that was funny too because you know we didn't have a lot of like the audio department people working. So every time they, they were just like, give me like a, a neutral, clean tone, and they're like, okay, let's do beat it, and I'm like can I have some game? You know, it was like, it was so like guerrilla warfare, just uh, improvise this whole thing. And I think, you know, the more important thing was I was asked to wear heels. This was like the second time. And and uh, much like Gina, we were both, uh, I mean again, i don't want to speak for her, but I think we're we're both girls that are not known to wear heels very much, so I know that <laughs> that was a and, and I kind of felt like maybe that's going to work to my advantage because they're they're already familiar with the with the tomboy guitar player coming in here and being like i don't know how to walk around in this so um, I did that for the audition and just tried not to fall and That was my that was my game plan, you know.
0: Whoa, what a trip! Of all the things that would what
1: a trip exactly, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Not the crazy beat it solo, which is nutty (laughs) to learn. How did you? I mean, I'm very familiar with the Van Halen repertoire, right? Of course, to a degree, and I know that's one of the most involved Eddie Van Halen solos, and you freaking crush it. It it really is. That one's got a lot of notes in it.
1: I don't know. You know, it's funny. How did you learn it though? I learned it by ear. I learned everything by ear. I mean, I think if I had to log the number of hours of practice that I've done on the guitar in my life, um, learning stuff by ear would probably come up as like the longest number of hours logged.
0: I've jammed with you before and and you have a great ear. Yeah, thanks.
1: Uh, not so great for jamming, but good for matching (laughs) pitch, I guess. But anyway, so because I've done so many years of that in my life it's just become the quickest way that I learn anything so nowadays like even if I get a chart at an mp3 I'll be listening more than looking and I'm kind of grateful for that because I feel like you know what do you do with music you listen to it so you might as well rely on your ears you know whenever you can so
0: it's the best way to learn so what was that stage like when you walked out was I mean I've been to a few of these shows I saw the Beatles love shows I love that show so much and the stages are not like a typical yeah like Broadway stage, or something like right. these, these are crazy shapes. Often in the round,
1: right? And, well, and we're parts. we're lucky in the sense that, like, you know, the Beatles uh, show the stage is is circular, and it's like you know the the seats are all around it, and there's kind of like nowhere to hide. I don't even know how those performers feel, thinking like, okay, well, I I can't, you know, everywhere I look, people are all looking at me, but. For us, it's a little bit more of a traditional stage. So I really just kind of felt like the stage is really big, rather, because it it never feels that big in the show because there's so many things going on and so many, like, huge towers and and all these things being moved all the time. So you don't feel the size of it. But for that audition, like, you know, it was at the end of the night and everything was kind of pushed to the side, so you really feel like this is a huge (laughs) space. Um, And it was more just, like, about... um, there was another guitar player auditioning at the same time. And it was just like people watching you that that felt like a little bit atypical for an audition. You know, there was like a lot of people in the room and I don't know, you know, but
0: so um, tell me about the moment when they hired you.
1: So I got, uh, I got an email asking to have a conversation and that was like only two weeks later. And it was basically like, can you be here on Friday? And I was like, yes and you know after that phone call just having to figure out okay how do i wrap up my life here in la in five days um and that was i mean that was basically it because i knew that i'd be going i knew that i wanted to do it and of course it felt like incredibly rewarding having auditioned to it for it so many times you know what i mean um and always kind of wondering like you know, it's so rare that after an audition, somebody actually tells you like what they're looking for or how is that how that's different than what you did. You know what I mean? So you're always kind of left thinking like, what are they looking for? Like, what could I have done differently? And having three auditions and kind of like always thinking, should I play this one differently or should I do what I did the last time? Because you don't know the criteria. Um, it just felt like very rewarding to finally be like, OK, I know I know I can do this. I'm glad they feel like I can do this now, so that oh, was a nice yeah. week actually because I felt like okay I can cancel everything else I had <laughs> and just take this time off before going to do a lot of work.
0: Yes, and as a starving musician, <laughs> not saying you were or weren't, but all of us like good paycheck from people I know who have worked for Cirque uh, du Soleil. You must have been like, wow, I have a job now. This is spectacular.
1: Well, I've been self-employed uh, my whole life and. I like, I like routine, you know? So I, I like the idea of just, like, having a place to go every day and playing at the same theater and not worrying about the travel in addition to yeah. the 10 shows a week.
0: Now, what was your first rehearsal like? You walk in here. What, was, what, did, they, what did they make you do? What, what happened?
1: Well, so this is obviously, like, it's a bit of an unusual situation because I'm not sure uh, how many people are aware of this, but we don't have a band. So this isn't, like, a, a pit band situation like most other um theatrical type shows would be um we use the original Michael Jackson tracks uh in the show and we have two live musicians i'm one of them and the other one is uh, a female singer and she we're both characters in the in the show i'm one of two musicians and we don't we don't even actually have an md on site so when i got here it was it was very unusual because You know, they didn't really know. Like, I I knew that I had to learn the music, but that was it. Most of my rehearsals here were safety trainings and, you know, just getting used to the stage and knowing, you know, where not to walk so you don't, like, fall six feet, you know, know, or just, you know, things like that. Um, The day that I saw Pyro Day, like, on my schedule, I was very, very excited because I get to play a guitar that shoots fire during the beat it solo, what? Yeah.
0: So yeah, tell us about this what pyro <laughs> guitar.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, this is definitely the part of the show that will never get old. So there's a thirty foot arc of um, fireworks basically shooting out of the headstock, um, and <laughs> <laughs> that's just crazy. It's it's like uh, right at the at the end of the beat it solo basically, so. Um, That's awesome. It's 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 so much fun. Now, the crazy thing is, like, you know, I'm wearing in-ears, so I never hear it. Now, I, f- I feel a little bit of the warmth, but it's, like, far enough away from me that once I got used to the whole routine of it, I'm literally at the point now where I'm just kind of like, all right, let me l- look to my left and make sure it's going off. All right, cool, it's going off. Let me go back to what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, are all the other performers staying way the heck out of your yeah, way? Yeah, it's basically,
1: <laughs> like... Circ is awesome in the sense that, like, it's always safety first. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing here, and it should be, because, you know, you have a lot of people doing a lot of superhuman things.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> none of which
1: I can do. But um, the thing with the pyro is I'm not the one actually um, operating it. We have a whole team that's operating it. So for it to actually fire, a lot of things have to be in line. Like, I have to be standing in the right place. I have to be angling the guitar in the right angle, like both height-wise and, uh, you know, to which side and everything. And if there happens to be somebody standing in the way for whatever reason, it, and it never happens, but uh, if if that happens, it just doesn't it doesn't shoot. So um, that's why we had the trainings for it because it was mostly like, all right, how do I get in my muscle memory exactly where I need to stand and exactly where I'm pointing to and everything. And, you know, I've had one show where it didn't fire. So, pretty good. Pretty good track record.
0: That better not happen tonight. I want to see some freak
1: fireworks. I know. We've now been uh, on break for a little bit. So, we'll see how well that muscle memory works.
0: So, it's like just a canister or something in the back Mm -hmm. of your thing. And then somebody off stage is watching you with like a remote control like in a spy movie about to hit the button
1: i think so i think <laughs> it's i think know. that's pretty much what it is
0: i mean anyone who's seen the cirque du soleil show it's like half of the amazing part is just thinking about the technical stuff that mm-hmm. is so artistic the team that's oh yeah making it all happen and the the pulleys and the computerized motions and everything and the lighting the lighting is unbelievable oh yeah it's now, it's amazing the sound i'm just expecting it'll be similar like the beatles show Mm -hmm. to hear this the way they've created this Mm. incredible sound set now Mm -hmm. to hear quincy jones produce Mm -hmm. the actual tracks in surround sound in this theater through that system Mm -hmm. must be nutty i mean that's the reason i got started playing guitar was when i heard michael jackson uh shake your body down to the ground
1: (laughs) i think i think you're going to be very pleasantly surprised because much like the beatles show there's been stuff that's been added and kind of revamped for this whole thing by our musical director kevin antunes and he has had he's had some incredibly creative ideas in this that that you know you hear the orig- i hear the originals now and i'm like this isn't exciting anymore <laughs> and i love that music you know like i love michael jackson so much and i hear those songs now and i'm like but i miss this part and i miss this part and i'm, I'm just so used to the show music
0: now do you have a cool entrance don't you with like a incredible scarf or something?
1: It's not a scarf. Come on, okay.
0: scarf. Okay. He talks
1: about all the amazing <laughs> things about Cirque du Soleil. Like, you have a scarf, right? <laughs> a I'm, just scarf. I'm just giving you a hard time. I, I don't <laughs> know about
0: women's apparel. Like, like, I don't know what the terms are, but
1: I mean, I wouldn't say, sh- I don't know if I would call it women's apparel. It's a cape. It's a cape. Okay. I don't know how long that ca- it's like also 30 feet long Camisole. or something like that. Now I'm g- grabbing at words. <laughs> Uh, I'll, ask, I'll ask one of our wardrobe technicians exactly what the uh, appropriate term is.
0: So wait, now tell me about <laughs> this epic scarf thing. This epic entrance. scarf
1: thing. Um, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> glad it's not a scarf. Um, mm-hmm. be, and I'll tell you why, too. Because, so it's a cape, and they, eventually, it, it gets pulled off of, off of my back so I can walk onto the stage and, and do my thing. But if that was a scarf somebody would be choking me. <laughs> yeah. So very glad it's not a scarf. <laughs>
0: but you walk out and it's like 30 feet behind you. There must be some incredible fan in your face yeah. or something.
1: Yeah. It's a gold cape and it's just kind of flying. We have two ramps on either side of our stage. So we utilize the ramps uh, as part of our stage. So I kind of walk up on top of the, on top of the ramp and, uh, you know, look over at the audience that's looking to their left and like seeing that there's stuff going on all around them and not just in front of them. Um, And I'm just kind of like waving the the cape around and it's flying all over from the fan and all this stuff. And and eventually it's pulled off of me and I can walk down to the stage and and start the show. And it's definitely one of my favorite parts because it's it's just so like, I mean, this is a very, very strange comparison, but anyone who knows me knows what a big Lion King fan I am. And I always say like that, that like, very first thing you see in that movie is so epic. Like I cannot see the sunrise and hear na and not think like this is so epic. And this kind of gives me the same feeling of like something big is about to happen. So I definitely love that.
0: Now, real quickly, what guitar are you playing in this show?
1: So these are all custom guitars uh, made by a Vegas luthier whose name is Jim Something that I am gonna have to fly in because I can't ever remember uh but the whole thing is that they're purely custom guitars built specifically for the show
0: now you're i mean like many guitarists you've spent a lot of your career playing with other musicians now all of a sudden you're thrown into I the know. situation where it's you're totally like totally different gymnasts and acrobats from all around the world right. and dancers what's the, what's it like back there and what have you learned from some of these other performers who, who are so amazing oh my god
1: they're incredible. Um, I love it. You know what? It's like after being in LA for so long and doing the, the muso thing, it's, it's kind of a nice change of pace to be around no musicians and kind of be forced to learn other things. Because I think, again, I can't speak for anybody else, but for as long as I've been in musician circo- circles, I've had mostly musician friends. You know, not even uh, a lot of other friends who are artists in other mediums or whatever, but mostly musicians. And there's so much other stuff to learn. Did, yeah. Do, do other people know about this? You know, like <laughs> right. because we're I think we're just we're so like, you know, we're we're really we have tunnel vision in our in our circles. So that part has been my favorite thing about this show because it's really? it it teaches you a lot of really new things about just being a performer and doesn't matter what you actually do you know like i feel like i address the audience completely differently than i would in any in any other show and you know just doing having a face full of makeup and having to remind yourself that you're not you you're a character and no one's seeing your face and it's it's actually really freeing um what is that Shakespeare thing where there's a disguise and it changes all the rules because you can hide behind this mask and be a completely different person. So it's actually a lot less nerve wracking for me to do this gig than any other gig because no one knows it's me. (laughs) So if I mess up, that wasn't me, you know, (laughs) but it's just, I, I can just like go out there and do something totally different and not worry about whether it's, it looks weird or it's embarrassing or it's not like adhering to the guitar community's guidelines of what stage presence should be because I'm just playing a character. So that's made a lot more fun. And
0: I've seen a couple of these photos. I know that it's not public all this stuff, but you're allowed to show certain photos. And I've seen a photo of you in your makeup (laughs) and you're unrecognizable. I know.
1: Even my own mother didn't recognize me the first time. Whoa. Yeah. Like I sent, I sent her a picture when I first had the makeup on like the very first time. And she was like, if I saw you walking down the street, I wouldn't know it's you. Wow. that's kind of amazing <laughs> to me leather. i know it's crazy
0: and you surprised me when you mentioned that you actually learned to do that yourself like you have to mm-hmm. put you're responsible for putting on your thing. yeah <laughs>
1: i wasn't told that before i got here that was a that was a pleasant surprise no um it's you know what again that just goes under that thing of rehearsals weren't even really rehearsals they were um learning how to do the makeup and all that kind of stuff so that's what I spent most of my time doing when I first got here is like every evening I would have the the makeup session of practicing it, and there were so many steps.
0: How long does it take you per night now that you've done a hundred Now shows? that
1: I've done it it takes me about an hour. Um, the first time I did it it took me three hours and wow. I was like I'm gonna have to show up at work at two every day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you do two but, shows uh, per day usually right?
1: Yes so at least we get to leave it on.
0: And how long does it take you to take it off?
1: <laughs> like five minutes. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, isn't that kind of like a super life thing? It's like you worked on something for, for hours and hours, and then how long does it take to destroy it? You know? well,
0: except for uh, the reason I ask is because one time in my life I put eyeliner on. I was like doing a gig with this drummer, Chris Conte. He's like, it was like a rock show at Slim's. And he's like, dude, you got to put a little eyeliner on to make your eyes pop from the back row, man. I was like, okay, well, really? But getting that stuff off took a lot yeah. longer.
1: <laughs> oh, for really? Okay, well... How do you guys get that
0: off? I mean, I, I mean, like turpentine well, or something? Well, here
1: we have... Yeah, see, here we have, like, heavy-duty makeup uh, and makeup removers. So it's basically, like, yeah, you just, like... My whole face becomes a mess of, like, black stuff until it's all wiped off.
0: And what's your favorite songs to play out of? I mean, you must have several, but...
1: Mm. See, in this gig, it's, it's really hard to make that call because, again, it's like now it's more than, like, here's my favorite song to play. It's like there's a whole act, and there's different things that I'm doing in, in, in each act. So it almost becomes a few several different questions of, like, well, what's your favorite songs to play? Mm-hmm. Or what's your favorite, like, Moment? part of the show? You know what I mean? So um, I really love doing They Don't Care About Us. Uh, and that song is, is so powerful to so many people anyway and with the act that they've created around it uh it really conveys the message and you can see i mean that i don't think the audience realizes that we can see them more than they think we can because uh, it's not that dark for us but you really see people connecting to that and i it just makes me so happy every time i see that because i realize that like the message has has been conveyed and i think it's so important and that's that's an easier one for me to kind of emote in character because there's just a lot of there's a lot of passion behind it so you know when I first got here and I you know I didn't know anything about character work and all this stuff like that part was the hardest thing for me so that was a good gateway song for me because I felt like I was already kind of feeling the message and was easier to right you know see that through the emotion so huge yeah takes over
0: now I've known you since you moved to LA from Boston and, and I always knew, knew that you did a certain level of being like a gym rat and going to the gym, but are <laughs> they training you now? What's going on with this? You're around some serious athletic people.
1: I know. It's crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, it's been amazing because, you know, playing seven string for the last, how many years? I don't know. But um, I've had muscle spasms in my shoulders and back since I was like 25, just from the weight of it all. Um, and when I got here, they were like, okay, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna give you some training for your shoulders and stuff because the show guitars are really heavy. And I was, you know, I was all like too cool. And I was, and I was like, ah, those guitars can't be that heavy. Like I play some and I, I, I lifted that pyro guitar and I was like, oh my God, (laughs) they weren't kidding. So, um, so that's actually been one of the most helpful things that I've ever had. And I'm thinking like this is the greatest thing. Cause like who in the music industry is going to take care of us like that? You know what I mean? Like no one's going to send us to physical therapy or tell us that this is how we should take care of our shoulders so that touring is easier or, or any of those things. And I'm in like way better shape now than I was when I got here. And I didn't even think that I needed to be, but now, you know, when you start doing the 10 shows a week, week in, week out, and then you like get up on your weekend and you realize that you can't get out of bed, you're very, very grateful for, uh, for all the conditioning, so wow. yeah,
0: I'm really yeah. happy about that. You're branching out, and you mentioned that you've <laughs> developed a juggling habit, which oh, is like habit.
1: About... Habit is a euphemism for addiction. But uh, you're a juggler now. <laughs> I know it's su- super random, but um, we every every month we have a week where we have uh, a bunch of fun activities that anyone can can anyone from the cast can participate in. So we'll have like. You know, gymnastics workshops, or you know, just all kinds of stuff like that. And I could not be more excited about those things because that was my ulterior motive in taking this gig. I was like, I'm finally gonna learn to do that backflip. And uh, you'll have to um, come back and ask me that in a year. But uh, <laughs> but juggling was uh, juggling was one of those things. And I was like, all right, let's let's try this out because I was convinced that I could never learn to do that. And Somehow learned and like once I started doing it, I just cannot stop. It's just you know I don't know if it's the same for you, but I feel like musicians like always have to do something with their hands. Like we're so restless that it's just been a really good thing for me because I can always be doing something. so Yeah,
0: I I gotta see this. You gotta (laughs) send me a video sometime just for the for the Facebook. (laughs) Just a little a little gif of you Um, juggling. I'm
1: currently working on this thing where I'm juggling with my right hand and. Like playing guitar with the left yes and uh, it's in the pro- it's a work in progress but uh, but yeah
0: well um let's play a little guitar because okay. you, you were just mentioning the seven string and you're holding one of your sick Ibanez seven strings <laughs> in your hand let's do something I wanted to hear you like just stretch out can I play something behind you or you yeah I can what should I play for you? Play just groove an E or?
1: Let's groove an E.
0: I just love even hearing you play. Like, just, <laughs> play, just noodle. Can just we noodle? You just noodle for a second? I can, can-
1: noodle. Uh. <laughs> out. This is. I love airplanes so much.
0: Um, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for coming straight here after your flight in. Yeah, you guys thank have Been you. off for a couple days. No problem. And flying right in to rock out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. One, two.
2: Key of E. <laughs>
0: You tease us with such a short <laughs> amount of licks.
1: I like being concise.
0: <laughs> All right, take it to the four. You. You, yeah, know, you know, there's no. a moment that just on your record that literally makes me laugh. And I'm just, I'm just like so happy that you <laughs> did this. It's such a crazy... I don't know
1: what you're talking about. But... I'm
0: talking about Alien Hip Hop featuring oh, God, <laughs> Virgil Donati. And right. you're just kind of like, you're going...
1: Right. Let's listen to this part. Which is all in 4-4 uh, somehow. All right, you
0: show us a little bit now, and then I'll fly in the track.
1: Okay, so, um, God, let's see if I can remember this. So, it's basically the rhythm guitar part, or the guitar part, I guess, is like a a loop. It sounds like a loop, and it's... Right? But it's basically all groupings of triplets that fall on a different part of the beat and line up on beat one, I think, every... It, I think it's something like every four measures is three repetitions of it or something like that. So it actually stays in 4-4, four, four, but it's triplets that fall in a different part of the beat. And it's it's just stupid. I mean, by stupid, I mean genius, right? But like, you know, um, it's crazy. And It's
0: so hypnotic.
1: It is. It so. just
0: keeps going. And it's just like, I love that you did that. Like, you don't hold back. You guys do that for like an eternity of just... <laughs> And and Virgil of course is I know
1: and he just like, oh let me play like impose all these other things on top of this and it's just it just goes nuts. I'm really glad we never did it live. (laughs) You know?
0: reminds me of I don't know it's kind of like avant-garde almost the way you. it is
1: yeah but but it's like you know when I first learned that tune it was right before it was before I met him and I didn't understand how it worked I didn't I didn't realize it's in 4-4 and all those things I just learned that phrase as a loop and when I first played it with him I was completely like not lining up and but he was you know he's such a great guy and he was gracious enough to explain to me how the whole thing works and when you're looking at the chart cuz again this is one of those things that I did by ear not looking at the chart right and when he explained it looking at the music it just it made a lot of sense so there's actually there is a method behind it it's not all just a bunch of stuff that's meant to sound weird and kind of all line up in the same place randomly after everybody went crazy it actually makes a lot of sense when when you're looking at it and I'm I you know once once he explained it I kind of I understood it from a different perspective and I was able to better perform on it
0: there's another song I love song. that you like
1: took no oh, it's so I'm
0: cute a, you think I'm not a professional
1: no I, I didn't say that it's just you know
0: <laughs> there's another song where you do a very hilarious rhythmic change I think it's double entendre uh-huh. where it goes into another shuffle but it's against the four let's listen to that for a second okay What the heck's going on here?
1: Well, so this was my attempt to uh, make two things work together that were not supposed to and just praying that once uh, the big guys play on it that it's actually going to make sense. So I got lucky. This was just like, ah, this doesn't work, but let's fit these two things together that are not supposed to go there. Um, yeah, so it's got that shuffle section and then uh, the B section is uh, a 7 over a 3. So the bass line is in three and the guitar line is in seven. Brutal. Yeah, I don't know why I do it to myself. But
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny, you hear like the very first title track, it sounds really crazy at first, but then you realize it's kind of like a, a approachable five. Right? It is an,
1: it's an approachable, that's very well put. <laughs> it is an approachable five.
0: But at first you're like, what's going on here? Alright, tell us about the solo on this song. What's going on here?
1: So, um, this is a, like a perfect example of one of those things where I'm so glad that I got the tracks from those guys back before I reacted to them um, or before I played something there because I kind of tailored that solo around Virgil's fills and around his phrasing, and they were in such an unexpected place because that's how he plays. Even if you know his playing, they were really different than where I would have put them. So that was a really good opportunity for me to kind of do something different and, you know, ha- having it be such a big open section I wanted something to latch on so his fills were like a really good way to do that. Um, and it took a really long time, I mean it was one of those like super through composed things because that's just what I wanted for the song. And it was such careful composition of everything to just kind of fit with him because again like everything that he does like takes it completely outside. So. Um, so I had to be very careful with my attention to detail. And I mean, I guess that's why I choose to, to keep playing it the way that it is on the record because it's just, you know, it was tailored for that.
0: Awesome. Can't get enough of it. You know, I also, <laughs> I love your, you have a nice flow with uh, two hands on the neck. Mm-hmm. I wonder, do you remember, uh, I know you recorded this a while ago. Yeah. I don't know how often you play it. It's been great to see you play the stuff at like the baked potato and, and mm-hmm. do your shows. I know you've done some shows around the world couple of places down where did you go central america Played, performed
1: uh we went to Col- columbia columbia yeah. I mean, that's
0: incredible the guitar fun. festival there yeah again the photos unreal <laughs> i love it. i wish i could have been there do you remember the part that you this two-handed breakdown on adaptable creatures i do
1: actually let's see if i remember it so <laughs>
0: you just make that flow like just butter but butter is not really something that flows you know what i'm saying that is smooth
1: butter flows if it's (laughs) melted i think
0: that's melted butter right there can you show us like it looks like you're starting with hammer-ons maybe with your fretting hand yeah
1: so basically i'm there's no picking right so uh the only i mean i i tap with my second finger mostly just so that i have a place to stash my pick But it's yeah, it's all hammers. So So, I'm
0: sorry. So on your on your right hand you have your pick underneath your first finger, and you're about to tap with your middle finger.
1: Yeah, middle and and sometimes third finger. So
2: that's kind of the whole figure.
1: So it looks like you're starting
0: on the what would be the sixth string of a regular guitar.
1: Yeah, so it's a B. Now, the, I mean, I don't know how much, how deep you want to get into the harmonic content of this. Yeah, Because toss. Okay. Um, so the arpeggio is basically, it's a, it's a major seven with a flat five, and I say flat five because it's the fifth and, and not an added tension, but um, starting on the seventh. So you have B, C, E, F sharp, right? So it's actually C major seven with a flat five, right? Um, and then, but the context is that it's not over C, it's over A minor. So that makes it a Dorian thing, because you basically have the B, the C, the E, and the F sharp, right? So that's the, the ninth, the third, the uh, what the fifth and the sixth, right? Which you need the sixth to make it Dorian. And then the cool thing is that when you tap, that's when you get access to like other tensions and other things. So that's what gives it like it does have a Dorian sound. And like depending on where I wanna tap, like like I can get the the root or the uh here's the third and ninth. The four, like and you just have a lot of freedom with this stuff, and the rest is just octaves. It's just copying and pasting.
0: If someone's hearing that out of the blue, it kind of sounds like a B Phrygian,
1: right? Because there's no there's no context.
0: So tell me about, you know, you came here from Israel. What do you miss most about? What was it like growing up? Because you came here when you were 12, moved mm-hmm. to Boston, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Obviously, you must miss your family back there and stuff. And, yeah. And uh, your friends. But what what do you miss, like, culturally or musically or Food. anything about?
1: I don't know. Um, well, that's the thing, you know. I think, like, when you move, it's such an odd age. Like, it's tough because you're kind of, you're, you're somewhere between being a kid and being an adult. So I never really experienced the culture as a grown-up person. And I don't consider, like, trips back to really be much of an education on Israeli culture as, a, as an adult living there. Um, but I had a wonderful childhood. You know, that was, it was great. It was great, war- like, growing up in a warm place where most of my childhood was, like, playing outside and riding bikes and being active and all these things. And actually, the, the funny thing that ties it all together is, like, being here at this gig is is kind of, it, it makes me think of my childhood a lot because I used to really love sports, you know? Like, sports and music were, like, the two things. And then guitar took over. And especially, like, living in Boston for the rest of my uh, upbringing, you know, I didn't go outside very much. I just sat on my ass and play guitar and didn't want to go out in the cold. So this, this is like a very unique situation because it, I kind of found a way to like combine my two original loves, you know, and I never had a gig like that before. Cause again, how often does that really happen for musicians? You know what I mean? So that's the cool thing about it. It's making me think about where I came from, a lot, and how I used to love a lot of other things besides music that I haven't thought about since then. But now I have an opportunity to kind of cultivate that the rest of that stuff again.
0: Now, your brother Ethan Brash, I badass shredder. What was like growing up with him and trading licks or anything? Like, how did that two guitarists in the family? Tell <laughs> me, tell me a little bit about
1: that. I feel really bad for my parents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be playing guitar you know I just I, growing up I wanted to be like him and just heard him practicing all the time um, but we kind of got into our zones you know we we were in different parts of the house just practicing and again I feel really bad for my parents because they were the, kind of like you know one of us was in the basement one of us was in the top floor and my parents were smack dab in the middle of that and it's just oh, like I'm very 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 grateful that my parents were supportive as they've been about they us being artists yeah because they took a lot of noise yeah so
0: obviously, after high school, anyone who knows about you you came you went to Berkeley, you even right. taught there at some summer sessions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Tell me about first thing that comes to your mind what did you whats the, what did you gain from Berkeley? What did you learn as a guitarist?
1: Just like being exposed to a lot of different kinds of music and I mean Berkeley is like super international school. I think it has like the highest percentage of international students from any undergrad program and um and that's kind of why I went because. I knew that I wanted to get into other styles of music, but I also knew myself well enough to know that I'm not good at exposing myself to them, and I knew that if I was in an environment where I was immersed in that and I kind of didn't have a choice, like, I would just be around it, then I would forcibly have to kind of sink or swim with that stuff. And I ended up meeting a lot of people from all over the world with all kinds of different influences and and styles, and I'm very grateful for that. Because I don't know where else... I would have gotten that, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's like, cause you discover that, you know, you think genres are so different, but there's always a connection to something else that, you know, you know, and people don't associate Eddie Van Halen with John Coltrane, but that's not to say that they don't have something in common that you can latch onto when you're learning something that you think is completely different, you know? Right, right. So.
0: Now you did Iron Maidens for a while. That mm-hmm. must've been a blast. I, I mean, oh, anyone who hasn't fun. seen Iron Maidens, it's a tribute band to, to an obvious band <laughs> right. famous in the heavy metal spectrum right. all female and you guys actually had an eddie monster
1: yeah and i think they have more than one eddie they we had more than one eddie uh f- to to go along with the different songs we had like the run to the hills eddie and we had the uh number of the beast eddie and um yeah and super fun
2: yeah,
0: and uh, Nita Strauss played with you sometimes, and well, Courtney. here's a
1: funny thing about Nita is that, um, of course, we're friends and we know each other super well from from that from then, but we both played the Dave Murray role, so we alternated like we. Right. Uh, we're filling in for each other. You know what I mean? So we you never actually spandex? played together. Huh? When
0: I saw Iron Maiden yeah. when I was 13 or 14, <laughs> he was in blue spandex. So
1: I totally had blue spandex. <laughs> nice. I love those pants. Uh, no, but um, Nina and I actually finally played together for the first time like a few months ago because we were both doing Ibanez clinics uh, yeah. on the same event. So she, again, she was gracious enough to invite me to play and we played the trooper. And it was, it was a lot of fun because we had never gotten to do that before. We were always like... It's, it was either or. It was never both. So um, we had a blast. I love Nita.
0: Shred. Now I you know. toured a bunch with Tony McAlpine. What, I mean, what do you take away from this amazing shredder? And you guys do all those amazing harmonies together. Mm. I saw one of your shows.
1: It was so much fun. I miss playing with Tony. Uh, honestly, I mean, I've, I kind of feel like that was my, my real musical upbringing, you know? Because, like, I was out of Berkeley and everything, but that's where the real, like, life lessons happened, you know? That was the real education um, and that was incredibly intimidating, especially in the beginning, because I was 22, and and it was like, all right, so, you know, we're going to play all this stuff for maximum security, and, and you know, I want to play keys half the time, so you're going to take half the leads. And I was, I just kind of looked at him like, are you serious? <laughs> like, like, what are you talking about? And I was... Completely freaked out for for such a long time, but he was so cool with like taking me under his wing and and just kind of convincing. Like I just remember him telling me like you're the only one who who thinks they can't do this gig, and I was just like, oh man! Like now that he has all this faith in me, I can't let him down. I have to like make this work somehow. And you know, he probably knew that I was the person with the work ethic that he if he doesn't leave me a choice, then I'm gonna like kill myself over it and somehow make it happen. So I just, you know, did the best I could and, and over the years it got easier and, um, you know, kind of more uh, under my fingers and in my muscle memory. And now I just jump in with them whenever I can because we just, we love playing together. It's such a blast. You know, there's so many harm like you were saying, there's so many harmonies there for us to to play together. And that made it such a special situation because it's not a rhythm guitar type role. It's very interactive.
0: You, I know you were playing second guitar with your brother, but mm-hmm. this you toured with Yngwie mm-hmm. Malmsteen. You, you did like three weeks. What did you, I mean, this guy, <laughs> if anyone's never seen Yngwie, you really owe it to yourself. He's like, it's like going to see an epic Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's like, <laughs> he's so amazing. Just like, right. he's so powerful. Right, yeah. And um, he brings it. Um, what did you take away from watching him every night?
1: Honestly, just like, just the consistency of it. You know, like, I love, I love Ingve. I mean, I know he's, he's easy to, to have an opinion on, uh, to either side, but I I love him because, you know, he pioneered a whole movement. So I feel like he's allowed to be himself to the end because he invented that stuff, you know, and he's so good at it. And so to me, it's like, that's what I love seeing about him is that like, he is so unapologetically him. And, I love that. I love the conviction yeah. of it. And, and, you know, it's not like he's hiding behind nothing. I mean, he's so, so incredible. And just to see him nail that every night and with incredible consistency and all that conviction was was amazing.
0: I know. And, and I love the fact that he kind of goes back to the Richie Blackmore thing of like a Fender Strat with mm-hmm. like single coils through blazing marshals in that crazy vibrato. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. It's, I love he's a phenomenon.
0: Block. He's like one of the seven wonders of the world when it comes to... <laughs> guitar playing.
1: He really is.
0: I'd love to you to tell us about the gear you've been using. I know you have mm-hmm. such a great relationship with these companies, like mm-hmm. starting with, you know, Ibanez and Dunlop and EMG. What's, what's going on with you lately?
1: Well, so here's the thing. I mean, um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll answer this for anybody who doesn't know, but I've been getting a lot of questions. Like when I post pictures, um, from the Cirque show with our show guitars, I'm getting a lot of questions about the guitars and I mean, I want everybody to know I'm still with Ibanez, but you know, I'm, I am very, very grateful to them for being cool with me using the show guitars because they're very appropriate for the show and they make sense. And, you know, uh, they didn't have to be so understanding of it. And I so, so appreciate it. Um, especially because I love Ibanez and I want to continue to, to play that for, for the other stuff that I do. Um, they've been great. They haven't. I mean, I love them so much and, um. I've recently been using the Headrush pedal board a lot, which also came out of this gig. It was actually a solution to, I'm going to live in a hotel for a while and I don't know how long I'm going to be here and I want to be able to keep doing my other stuff and keep posting videos and uh, and I'm not going to have a year with me. So I was looking for kind of like a, a mobile recording solution and I hooked up with the Headrush guys and so much more came out of it than I had anticipated you know i just thought it was going to be a solution to a a problem and ended up really loving the product and we're going to be doing some some stuff together this year so but you know again like i i love the stuff that i've used forever i mean i still use the same rig whenever i have the opportunity and i'm just kind of now getting into the whole like doing different things for for different situations and
0: and if anyone hasn't seen it there's some great Videos of you, I think some with Tony, Tony yeah. McAlpine on EMG TV.
1: Yes. So I've been using EMG pickups for a long time. And we got to do a bunch of shooting at their studios. And I did, I think, like half my record, well, my last record. And then I did, like, we did a whole DVD with Tony, like a whole live DVD in one day. It was the longest day of my life. Maybe even since coming here, it was still probably the longest day. But um, but yeah, somehow we all made it work.
0: Well, it's been fantastic hanging out with you. Me um, too. I see that people are starting to show up here to get the, the show on the road today. But uh, any <laughs> other... I know you have a, strings. I think you play Dean Markley strings. I play Dean
1: Markley strings. Yep. And I uh, use exotic effects and uh, Dunlop MXR products, Dunlop picks, Ibanez guitars, Headrush right. pedal board a lot now.
0: And what, um, what gauge do you run... Th- what's the top string on your seven string today? It's...
1: The top or the bottom?
0: Well, I mean, the highest one is a nine or? Nine, yeah, yeah. And then it goes down to a?
1: Fifty-four. So it's like a, just a standard nine to 42 yeah. set and then a 54 on the
0: low B. Right on. Well, it's amazing to think about it, everywhere you've been. I, I've been lucky enough to hang out in Israel and play a gig there for, gosh, that was just so wonderful hanging out in Tel Aviv on the beach and visiting, like, to just think you came from there. hmm Boston. LA now you're in Vegas I know so many musicians out here it's such a but it's different than LA what's it like living here it's
1: awesome I mean honestly I haven't explored it all that much yet because I I'm always playing but um I like the fact that we can like live in a nice suburban neighborhood and still have the strip you know it's it's a good juxtaposition and you know LA is is kind of always urban all the time and it's nice not, not to have the traffic and to just kind of have that separation of work and home rather than being a freelancer all the time uh, it's it's a it's a different thing you know it's nice to like i have the theater where i go to work and then i come home and chill out you know it's 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 a luxury to be a musician and be able to do that
0: i mean it's just a thrill for me to know you and see all the different things you've done including play with a guy I know one of the greatest bass players on planet earth Alfonso Johnson you just did that show finally where was
1: that uh it was a festival in Chicago um and it was him and Chester Thompson played drums and it was like super fusion you know like super spontaneous uh it was awesome like we played a lot of Coltrane stuff and some weather report stuff and some dead stuff too actually
2: Oh, and yeah, it was, it was jazz, really, jazz is dead.
1: it was really good time. Yeah, exactly. Jazz is dead stuff, but it was really good timing because, um, the show was off so I could go off and do that. And it was really nice to come back to like the muso thing. Cause I've been out of it for several months now. And it was nice to like reconnect with, you know, people with whom you speak a, a really common language. So it was nice to have that. And I'm glad I finally played with them. Well,
0: congratulations on that and Thank on this you. incredible gig here in Vegas. Thank Always you. exciting to see what you're up to. <laughs> your life is a nonstop adventure. And, uh,
1: From your mouth to God's ears, <laughs> I don't know. but
0: thanks for hanging today.
1: Thank you, Jude. Thanks for having me.
0: Let's take it out on something. We got to rock our way out here as people start to like stock the bar here okay. and get the show rolling. Let's do an ending jam, like a little something okay. that fades out. What would it be? Like, do you ever do? I mean, did you jam on like black market or anything, or?
1: Yeah, I think it's just like a C minor thing.
0: I always married in B flat.
1: It's cool to hear that played on guitar, actually. So all right
0: (laughs) nice (laughs) we got it
1: (laughs) okay so we'll go to the bridge one two three four
2: (laughs)
0: The is safe. Man, I can't believe Neely got to play that great song with Alfonso Johnson, the bass player who played it on the original Weather Report studio track, of course. Jocko played it on the great live album, 830, which I recommend. Songs called Black Market, wow. Thank you, Neely, for hanging out. Those album tracks sound huge. I love them. Speaking of huge tones, as I said, I have to give you a tribute to one of the guitar players who changed my life. I got to interview him later, and I even met his guitar tech once. A different Angus's guitar tech Takumi took us downstage and I forget who Malcolm's tech was but I was with Gretchen Min because she knew Takumi and we were just hanging out and Takumi hooked us up and we went I took a whole tour underneath the stage in like 2010 and I got to see Malcolm's guitar and I got to play Angus's guitar and I got a pick from his tech I still have that guitar pick Malcolm Young And that was a fantastic tour. I think that was ultimately Malcolm's last tour. But Malcolm and Angus changed my life when I was 12. I had never seen a concert. My little brother, turns out he had tickets. Someone said, hey, let's take the kids. Him and his buddies were going to go see ACDC with a parent or something. I was like, what? I'm the guitar player. And I've never seen a rock concert. So I got tickets with my friend. And we went out there on our own when the day finally came six in the morning we got on the bar train from oakland went all the way out to south san francisco took the bus got off at the cow palace and got in line at like 7 30 in the morning there were already like a couple hundred people in front of us maybe a hundred and we were going to be right in front of the stage that's all there was to it then they started putting up these barricades like why are you putting up barricades at eight in the morning and then they moved the line into the barricades. And then I soon figured out why, because it turned into a crush. They were just crushing us all day long. All the people behind you are pushing and it turns into like a sardine can and you're just, it's just really unpleasant. It's raining, people are throwing beer bottles. I've never seen so much broken glass in my life. I'm not kidding. There were fights and drunkenness. It was pretty hardcore, man. All these rockers that were way older than me. Again, I was just 12 years old. But finally, we get in to the show, and we're up front in front of the stage at the Cow Palace. There's like one or two people in front of me sitting down, and then there's the barricade. We're all sitting down. I'm like, this is great. Best seats in the house. All of a sudden, around 7.15 p.m., everyone stands up and surges, and the whole crowd surges to the front of the barricade. And my little 12-year-old ass is just crushed. My feet aren't even touching the ground because the crowd is so tight up there. It's like leaning. And you feel like it's all going to fall over. And you feel like you're going to get suffocated in in the armpits of heavy metal fans piled upon you. Which is apparently kind of what happened to some poor, poor souls six months earlier at this time in the early 80s at a Who concert. So all this shit's going to my mind. And I can't get out of there. I can't breathe. Every You know. All this, everyone's taller than me. And somehow, finally, after 15 minutes of struggling, I finally figure out if I go backwards, the, towards, away from the stage, it finally gets a little bit more sparse. And I get out of there, and I leave the crowd. After waiting all day, every single seat in the whole place is general admission, and it's all filled. <laughs> I'm sitting on the stairs. I'm like, wow. All that, and now I don't even have a seat. But the concert started, and it blew my mind. It, I can't even begin to tell you. How my mind was fried by seeing my first concert and seeing Angus and Malcolm crush it. The sound was echoing through my mind for days afterwards. That night at midnight, we are like at the bus stop in the rain, heading home, and I swear I could barely talk. The next morning, I was trying to tell my other friends about it and tell my mom and dad about it. And it was like I was Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz where she's telling him, but no, this was incredible. You got it. You can't believe what happened. And they're like, oh, that's nice. They're like, my parents and my friends are like, oh, yeah, I I know rock concerts are cool. I'm like, no, you don't get it. It was transformational. It really was. And that's why I was so thrilled when I finally got to interview ACDC. By that, I mean Angus and Malcolm over the phone conference call in about 2000 for Guitar Player Magazine. I was supposed to talk to them for like an hour. They talked to me for like an hour and 20. God bless them. And one of the highlights of that phone call was when I got to tell Malcolm and Angus that my crazy friend Brian Bowman, who's a jazz drummer, had this crazy idea of, an, of a tribute band to the music of Star Wars and ACDC, and that band would be called R2DC. That was so funny. I'm like, we have to do this. We're sitting there at the cafe, and already he's recruited me as musical director, and we had horn players and everything. I was kind of a low-rent Angus, but we had the horn players playing the Star Wars melody, so we'd have back-and-black groove underneath, and then on top of that, we'd have the melody from Star Wars. <laughs> they worked perfectly. I found all these perfect ways to mash up the melodies with the ACDC grooves. And I told Angus and Malcolm about this at the end of our phone call and they loved it. Malcolm was cracking up. I have the tape somewhere. He was cracking. He made me say the name again after he finally stopped laughing. And that was really nice for me, like to give them a little bit of laughter after all the tribute bands they probably heard of and been told about their whole lives. The one that actually really made them laugh. They got a kick out of it. That was a killer moment. But really, I'll never forget that feeling after I left the Cow Palace and I could just hear those big chords ringing in my mind. I mean, the thing about Malcolm is he's got the groove. He leaves these giant holes in those riffs where the drums come through. Him and Angus, it's that sound. It makes the drums sound huge. Everyone's like, man, that drum tone on Highway to Hell. Yeah, but part of it is the guitars aren't playing for half the time. They're leaving these giant holes in there. That's a sound that I think really influenced John Mutt Lang and also other bands. And, and John Mutt Lang really helped ACDC, but they helped him too, I think, with that sound. And you can hear how that applies in the uh, Def Leppard sphere, as discussed by Phil Collin in the Phil Collin episode from Def Leppard of this podcast. Man, I'll never forget how Malcolm just told me how he just loved to sit back there and he'd watch Angus run across the entire stage like a train coming through the station, he said, (laughs) whereas he just wanted to be back there playing rhythm with his left leg against the drum riser, he told me, so he could just feel the beat and lock in. Man, Malcolm Young got it. He gets it. He got it. Y'all got to go out and crank some ACDC for an entire week in honor of Malcolm Young. My most cherished guitar pick is that one that his tech gave me. Thank you so much, Malcolm, for making so much good music. You know, ACDC, the one song when I was uh, in my early 20s and I was actually hanging out at clubs and stuff and dance clubs, and it's probably still the same here. where You know, wherever there was, like, DJ playing dance music, the only rock song that they would ever play in a dance music setting, hard rock song shook me all night long by acdc that groove so fat it's got a groove to it and it rocks so god bless malcolm young um i'm just speechless i i really want to go hang out with dean del Rey because he is such an acdc fan he has a great podcast called let there be talk big shout out to dean who helped me launch this one gave me some tips at the very beginning when i started this podcast so i'm totally rambling because i'm kind of in shock that Malcolm Young is gone but thank you all for listening and thank you Neely for doing the show be back at you real soon with another killer hang with a killer guitar player thanks for listening and thanks to all of you that have written in and said that you've listened to all 60 episodes and are waiting for the next one I really appreciate that Got to give a quick shout out to Bill Amstutz, who helped me launch this podcast over two and a half years ago. Well, almost two and a half years ago. And of course, Michael Melinda at Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com, who has supported it from the very first moment I told him of the idea. And thanks to Zoom for the H6 recorders. That's how I record these things. My name is Jude Gold. I play guitar. I'm a lifer. You probably are too. Thanks for checking out No Guitar Is Safe. Keep it alive to your